boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Binge Boys, a podcast you're listening to right now about streaming and maybe some other things, maybe not. We'll see what kind of mood Lon Harris is in. Lon Harris, hello. I am Hal Rudnick, sitting across from him on the Zoom. Lon, what's your tolerance for nonsense and bullshit today? I feel like you said that like I'm often in a bed, like we'll see... We'll see where Lon's at if he's going to rip my throat out here. But I think we, we should have some fun on today's show. It's like, I'm, I'm, I'm a very nice person. You are. You are. I don't think I are. have a lot of, like, monstrous moods where I can't handle nonsense. I mean, I'm just glad we're doing this via Zoom because if we were in the same room, you would lunge across the desk at me if nonsense was. I sometimes fly into a violent rage. You never know. Well, no, it's a holiday weekend. We're recording this right before the July 4th, like, long weekend. So, no, I'm, I'm fine. I'm feeling good. Let me ask you this, Lon. If you were going to watch one program on America's birthday, what would it be? I'll tell you what it would not be. Okay. It's a thing we did not review for this show, but which I watched this week. Okay. It's called America the Motion Picture. Did you see the commercials for this? Oh, yes. This cartoon on Netflix. Oh, with I don't want to jump the gun and start reviewing things before it's the time to review. It's one of the stupidest things I've ever seen. Yeah, it's like George Washington, the founding fathers, just like our superheroes, essentially, right? Well, it's it's like the idea, I guess, and I'm I, like, I have to say, I guess, because I'm honestly not sure what the nugget of the idea even was. But it seems like, mm-hmm. what if you reimagine the American Revolution? As like an expendable style action movie right. with sci-fi and fantasy elements. So like <clears throat> maybe one guy's a robot and one guy can turn into a werewolf. But also it's totally ahistorical, even in ways it wouldn't have to be. So it's not just like Sam Adams is like one of the expendables. Right. It's like, well, Abraham Lincoln and Sam Adams are alive at the same time. And it's like, it's just mm-hmm. a grab bag of references. But I don't know what it's making fun of. Like, it feels like it's a parody of something, but I can't huh. tell you what that thing would like. You know how Archer is a parody of like spy movies? Yes. So it would be like if you watched Archer, but in a world where spy movies didn't exist. And you were like, I feel like this is funny, but I can't tell what it's riffing on. It sounds like it's riffing on history. It's not like. Isn't this a funny take on George Washington? It's literally just like, what if George Washington, but nothing about him is anything like George Washington except his name is George Washington. Right. Like, what if we just put this character in this thing and he acts dumb however we want him to act, and we were like, that's George Washington, you got Like, it, I don't know. It doesn't hold together at all. It was crazy and awful, and the jokes are bad, and, like, I think one of the Archer guys worked on it or made it, mm-hmm. but, like, Wow. Did not come through. I will not watch that on America's birthday. It also feels like Team America, kind of, but without any mm-hmm. of the actual satirical bite, just like the the jokes of Team America. It's funny that you bring that up. That's what I was thinking as far as like, yeah, if I wanted to vibe on uh, a little uh, USA, I might go Team America World Police. It's weird that people always answer Independence Day for this question mm-hmm. because the title is like it's set on Independence Day. Right. And Bill Pullman has that line where he says, today we celebrate our independence. But that movie actually has nothing to do with Independence Day. It's not like it's an appropriate July 4th movie. It just, that's the title. Right. If you want to guarantee that your movie will be watched at least one day out of the year moving forward, just name it. That's the Gary Marshall trick. Just be like, it's called Mother's Day. Yeah, Valentine's Day. It's called Valentine's Day. Now you watch it on Valentine's Day. It is the definitive classic for that holiday. Yeah. After Pretty Woman, that was it. It was just like, I got to have more popular movies. We're naming them all after days on the calendar. (laughs) August Uh, 13th, the movie. (laughs) Every August 13th, people are going to be like, we should watch that August 13th movie. I'm surprised there aren't more movies, like a movie title that's just a date. Yeah, and then every year on that day, people are like, this would be the, this is the only day you can watch 
June 30th. I mean, and then it becomes <laughs> like a special day. Yeah. I'll craft a pitch. We'll take it in. To the, we'll work on it. I, I think we need to get, like, you could leave out holidays. You don't need to do 365 movies. You could do, like, yeah. three, because there's a lot of them are already holidays that, that people have used. Yep. So, yep. like, 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 like 320 movies. One for mm-hmm. each day that already doesn't have anything, like, cool about it. Oh, maybe this is a series. I don't know. It's got to be something so people could be like, oh, it's October 14th. We should watch October the 14th, the movie. And it could be about anything as long as characters at one point have to acknowledge the date. Yeah. Oh, I'll never forget this day. It's when I fell in love and saved the world. Or even just a passing mention where they're like writing a check like, wait, hang on, what, what's the day? 13th. Thanks. That's all. Then, then it's October 13th, the movie. This October 13th. <laughs> experience an October 13th like you've never had before. Yeah. Love, <laughs> coming of age, <laughs> and seeing old friends. They say every dog has his day, but for Seth Meyers, that day is October 13th. <laughs> I don't know why I picked Seth Meyers' name. It just seemed like every man name. So is he the character or is he in it? By the time I was saying it out loud, I was like, that's actually a famous guy's name. That's, you can't, oh, it should have been yeah. like, but for Todd Everett, you know, like it should, I should have just made up a name. I took it like Seth yeah, Meyers, like the, the talk show host. Yeah, yeah. why yes. he doesn't even act? That is stupid. He's probably been in a few SNL sketches, but yeah, he's playing himself. It's just a day, October thirteenth, in the life of talk show host Seth Meyers. That's my film. That's my <laughs> pitch, folks. Uh, greenlit. Take it or leave it. No changes. You know what? You've uh, you, you've been given a first look deal at Paramount Plus. That doesn't take a lot. Let's do the news. So Amazon, they're making a a series based on a league of their own. That now it's based on the 1992 Penny Marshall movie, which itself was based on an actual league of their own. They being ladies, yes. the real uh, you know women's professional baseball league that sprung up in 1943 while the men folk were uh, were overseas fighting that that war. The Georgia Peaches. The Rockford Peaches. The Rockford Peaches. The Rockford Peaches of the team. So it's still going to be about the Rockford Peaches, but they're changing the characters. So the show is Abby Jacobson for Broad City. She co-created, co-wrote, and she's going to star. Uh, but we found out who Nick Offerman is going to be the coach. Now, he's not – Tom Hanks was the coach in the movie, but he was playing a burnout alcoholic character named Jimmy Dugan – there's no crying in baseball. Memorably, the guy who said there was no crying in baseball. Nick Offerman's playing a different character, Casey Dove Porter. And you may be wondering, where does the nickname Dove come from? We know. He played as the pitcher for the Chicago Cubs. And during his pro career, he killed a Dove mid-game with his fork ball. Oh. So that's, that's why he's Casey Dove Porter. Here's a trivia question for you, Lon. But I know you're not a sports enthusiast, but maybe you picked it, up this okay. little. Um, uh, do you know what pitcher killed a seagull, exploded it with his fastball? I believe Would it, it be, took place in Toronto, Canada. I'm going to guess Casey Seagull Porter. Ooh, strong guess. And it was yeah. it was not Casey Seagull Porter or Casey at the bat from Mudsville. Uh it was Randy Johnson, and there's video of it. He just throws the pitch, a bird flies in, feathers, just an explosion of feathers. You know what would be funny? If it was Doc Ellis during that memorable no-hitter where he was on LSD. Imagine if yeah. you're on LSD, you're pitching in a major league game, and then you explode a seagull. That's a, that's a big day. That's a mind fuck, folks. There's a great animation narrated by Doc Ellis himself on YouTube. Is it from that documentary? They show it in the documentary. There's a documentary about this event. That's how I know about it because I ah, okay. I don't know about baseball stuff. Yeah, it's baseball lore. Uh, this pitcher, Doc Ellis, took LSD. No, no, colon, a documentary, but Doc, like D-O-C-K. Nice. It's on Amazon Prime, folks. And he pitched a, a no-hitter while tripping on acid. And it's it's a fantastic story. The animation, it's like a five-minute animation on YouTube. If you search Doc Ellis, uh, LSD, no-hitter, or something like that, 
you will not be disappointed. It's so well done, and he's very charismatic in the telling of it. Uh, welcome back to Dugout Boys. One more trivia question for you. What hunk, speaking of seagulls, what hunk was hit in the face by a seagull while riding a roller coaster? Uh, Fabio. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's the famous picture of Fabio with the bloody face. We've all seen. Yeah. It's an internet, an internet ledge. You love hunk Fabio? I thought that was going to be baseball trivia, uh, why would I have predicted you were going to do hunk trivia? That's not even a kind of trivia. Listen, I go to bar hunk trivia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are some bars around L.A. where I bet they do hunk trivia. I just that I haven't been. <laughs> so, Lon, the Mighty Ducks became a hockey team, an actual hockey team called the Mighty Ducks, which is, mm-hmm. when you think about it, it's simultaneously amazing and the dumbest shit ever that this Disney movie spawned an actual team. Honestly, to me, this makes more sense than most sports things. Be like, yeah, it's a famous team. Why wouldn't you make them in real life? Like, I finally, that's a thing from the sports world that I get. Most of the time I'm like, what? Who cares? But wouldn't it be akin to like calling a baseball team the Bad News Bears? Yeah, I think they should do that too. That that would be rad. It's weird that that doesn't exist. But how great would it be if there was a team called the Xenomorphs or the Terminators? I, or yeah. Some, and, Why don't and they, then they're going to do this? Like, uh, let, let's be honest. By the time you and I are old crotchety men. It, uh, there, it's totally going to be, yeah, it's the, it's not that long, folks. But it, yeah, yeah, there will totally be like the DC Avengers. Like that is absolutely going to happen. There's already a hockey team called the Nashville Predators. And like the Dallas Autobots. Like, wait, it's not that far off. I can't wait to root for the LA Minions. I mean, the Predators need to have Predator Night at least if they don't already. All right, moving on. Uh, the Weekend, he's going to write and star in an HBO series called The Idol. It is about a female pop star who starts a new relationship with an L.A. club owner, and it turns out that guy is also the head of a mysterious underground cult. I'm assuming that's who The Weeknd is going to play. Oh, maybe. Yeah, The the Weeknd, he's that actor from Uncut Gems. Yes, fine actor, playing himself, playing himself in that one. (laughs) Uh, Mostly making out with Julia Fox in, like, a side room at a club. But Mm -hmm. I'm sure, listen, the guy's got range. We also saw him wandering around in a brightly lit room at the Super Bowl. Like a hall of mirrors. Like a confusing the- hall of lights. So, you know, I, that was believable. I, I believed he was lost in that hall of lights. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, he co-created the series along with Euphoria creator Sam Levinson. He's also the guy that did Malcolm and Marie. Yes. So this is the two of them teamed up for this new show. That sounds interesting. I like anything cult related is very fun. Yeah, I like I like a cult thing. A little underground. Uh, I like that the idea that he's an L.A. club owner with a secret dark side. It's like that. That's not a secret. It's, it's like you, you could have just stopped with L.A. club owner. There's no. Yeah. If you were an L.A. club owner and all you did like when you weren't at the club was like early to bed, early to rise, work out, eat healthy like that. You just like take drop off the kids at soccer practice. That would be the surprise. That's a crazy twist. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, they're like, and by night he's sacrificing virgins. It's like, well, I assumed. I assumed if you ran a big L.A. club. Yeah, like it. on the low end, drug trafficking. And yeah, then, right. Yeah, uh, it's like on the, And then there's probably human trafficking. Somebody's blood is being drank by somebody. Incubators with some kind of baby farm in the basement. It's like this stuff is like like, this is not even that secret. This is the stuff like, you you know, if you look the place up on Yelp, they'll let you know. (laughs) It's like it's only a front for drug trafficking. Come here. It's been safe. Yeah, don't look for the crazy shit in the basement of a pizza restaurant in Washington, D.C. Just go in the back room of any office at a club. (laughs) Yeah, it's 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 not great. So anyway, rails of coke on the table. He's the idol. That's the weekend. Tell me any any good stories from your clubbing days. Did you have a big clubbing period in your life here in LA? No, I have been I have been to a nightclub. Like it it, it has happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, I was not a I was never a regular. 
not a dance guy. That's not putting my best foot forward. Sure. If I meet a person on the dance floor, they're not going to think much of me. Same, same. Uh, but I, I have had a couple of, I've had a couple of wild nights out there, but. Uh, I got to talk. I got to use my voice. That's the appealing. I know listening to this podcast, this may be hard to believe because you don't have the video component, but this is my best. This is the best I can do. Uh, so when I'm, when I'm robbed of this by loud music and all you have to go on is the visual. It's not great. It's not a recipe for success. Well, if there was the opposite, if there was a version of a nightclub where you were blinded and all you could do was hear the person, I think I would do very well. Oh, yeah. It's called Clubhouse. <laughs> no, that, no, not not. But like, you know, but real, like a way to actually meet people. Not to just talk to them on, on an app that nobody uses. What's the Twitter channel thing now that they that you Spaces. Can do? Twitter Spaces. Twitter Spaces. No, nobody's on it. You're a real panty dropper on Twitter Spaces. If, like, radio from the 20s still existed. If you could just be on, like, 30s radio, that would work well for me. Sure. Like, when they just used to be guys who would just talk on the radio all night, you know, for, like, nine hours, six days a week about UFOs or whatever interested them. Oh, the Art Bell Show? Well, there was a a ton of those guys. That was like a you know, it was a good format. Like every every town needed a guy on the radio at like two a.m. just taking <laughs> calls, talk yeah. about Roswell. You know that that's a universal. Did you listen to radio growing up? Not a ton. Uh, definitely Doctor Demento. I was a big fan of Doctor Demento as a kid. Gotcha. Kids may not even know about this. So. No. There used to be a radio show once a week. I want to say Sunday nights. I want to say Sunday from like 7 to 9 or 10. Nationally mm -hmm. syndicated, featuring a guy named Dr. Demento. And he would play goofy comedy songs and parody songs. And this is where Weird Al got his start. He was the first yes. guy to play some of these old Weird Al songs. But it oh, seems yeah. crazy now because the internet, uh, if you had a funny song today... You put that shit on Spotify and YouTube. Yeah, ideally, and then it goes viral or whatever. SoundCloud or whatever. But th this was a time where there was literally like, what are you going to do? Send it to the radio station? They didn't play silly comedy songs. There was like no other way. Like Dr. Demento was the one guy in the country who would be like, I'll play your dumb comedy song and maybe people will hear it. It's a whole other universe. So anyway, I used to like that. But no, I wasn't a bit. Like, I mean, in, you know, top 40, like whatever was on the radio. Oh, sure. I, I used to listen to sports talk radio. Yeah, because I was I was already, I'm old, but I'm not that old. I'm not like sit in front of the radio and hear your stories old. That's, that, was, that was a couple generations before. The Adventures of Shazam. Yeah, that was like my Fibber McGee and, and Molly. That was like my grandpa. <laughs> the Simpsons will cross over with the MCU next week. They're uh -huh. doing a special animated short, The Good, The Bart, and The Loki. Tom Hiddleston will voice Loki. He's been banished from Asgard. He comes to Springfield, and he and Bart get into some mischief, that thing that he's the god of. So it's going to debut on Disney Plus on Friday, along with Loki Episode 5. Okay. You keep it up with Loki? Are you are you fresh on Loki? Um. I'm not fully caught up. I'm. Uh, I, I'm oh I, wow! Yes. What did you have this week that was more important than uh, keeping up with uh, the Disney Plus uh, Loki adventures? Oh my goodness! Uh, well, a little disappointed in you. Trying to figure out what's happening. If you must know, Lon and listeners, I've had to go deep cover into the L.A. club scene. Wow! To uh, bust this club owner who is running uh, an underground cult. And uh, let's just say he's been doing everything from drug trafficking to human trafficking. Wow. All the traffickings. One of each kind of trafficking. Oh, yeah. There's car traffic. There's human traffic. There's <laughs> drug traffic. Uh, the band traffic from the <laughs> just, 70s. Yeah, bootleg traffic albums. Yeah, Steven Soderbergh's movie Traffic. Mm. Is playing constantly mm. in the so any kind of trafficking. So I'm just trying to I'm just trying to bust this wide open. Such a Larry David bit. That's a total like what kind of trafficking? Oh, all the all the traffickings, all the type, oh every type of trafficking he's into. This guy. I guess if you were wearing a wire on a podcast, you'd get a lot of that feedback. That's how you'd know. That's a great. Nobody's ever done that in a crime movie. They always like strip when they want to find out. Like, are you wearing a wire? Take his clothes off. That should be the one. Be like, wait, is this guy, are you wearing a fucking wire? You know what? Sit down with me. We're going to do a podcast. Well, if you're not yeah. wearing a wire, there won't be any feedback. We'll only have one mic. 
Oh, listen, just so happens that over the pandemic, I started a little podcast. You're yeah. going to be my guest. Sit down. Vinny, Vinny, hold that gun on him. You do this ad read. Do it. Get him a bottle of water in case he gets parched. <laughs> <laughs> do this fucking ad read. So help me. Anyway. That's a pretty funny scene. That's my new sketch. The my crime boss also getting into podcasting. You know what? Five stars. Send it to Lorne Michaels. Oh, wait. His ad reads are all just like obvious extortion threats as well. Listen, you're going to order one of these Casper. You got a real nice bedroom. Be a real shame if something were to happen to it. Uh, Easier to just get this Casper mattress. You know what I'm saying? Listen, some of your underwear already has holes in it. You wouldn't want a hole in it from my nine millimeter now, (laughs) would you? Order me undies. Me undies. (laughs) You get the blue apron, you make the dinner, everybody's happy, no chance anybody's going to get poisoned, but you don't get the blue apron. I don't know, no guarantees. You know, anything can have a lot of dangerous chemicals in some of these foods, you know. Very dangerous. Or maybe you'll end up with a red apron from blood, from your own fucking blood, you <laughs> son of a bitch. Or the blue apron or I'll come to your house and put a hole in you. There you go. You bastard. Uh, I like it. All this right. is a good this Yes, is a good I bit. like that. Good Very bit. good. The, the, um, the Mafia podcast. Yeah, yeah. I think we should always end every bit with a minute of trailing off like, yeah, that's good. That's yeah, good. We, I think we, you know. I think we really I, nailed Like I'm ones. debating in my head, do I want to keep riffing or do I want to move on? You know what? Uh, Enough time has gone on. by. Yeah, I think we move And on. scene. Amazon renewed the fantasy series Good Omens for a second season. The series, of course, based on a novel by Neil Gaiman and the late Terry Pratchett. Uh, Season one wrapped up the events of that novel, though. So season two... You got a couple of Doctor Whos in that, right? Well, you got David Tennant, a Doctor Who. You got Michael Sheen, not a Doctor Who, but a fine actor. Mm -hmm. Fine, Right, right, right. A David Frost. He put the Frost in Frost Nixon. Yes. A a Twilight vampire, a a, a wonderful Twilight vampire. Mm -hmm. Tony Blair from many HBO films. Uh, He played Tony Blair several times for HBO. Oh, okay. You remember that film, The Special Relationship, where Dennis Quaid is Bill Clinton? Yeah. He's mm-hmm. Tony Blair in that film. I believe also gotcha. in uh, The Queen, I believe he played Tony Blair in that in that Helen Mirren film, I want to say. He uh, cornered the Tony Blair market the same way the guy from uh, Mindhunter and um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood cornered the Charles Manson. The Charles Manson market, exactly. You are correct, sir. He did. He did play Tony Blair in The Queen. I'm right about that. I'm very smart. So anyway, the two of them... Sheen plays an angel, Tenet plays a demon. In the Mm -hmm. original story, they have to join forces in order to prevent the apocalypse because they both like humans and hanging out on Earth. Mm -hmm. Neil Gaiman said he and Terry Pratchett had discussed before we lost Terry Pratchett. They had talked about what a second story might look like. So there is some Pratchett influence still to come. But yeah, they're just going to write an original series. That will be coming back sometime probably next year. Very nice. Have you watched some Good Omens? I watched, yeah, well, I read the book. So I was a big fan of the book. uh, And Mm -hmm. then I watched the show. It's very fun. It's a lot of fun. It's a very clever book, and they, they do a good job of adapting it. I'm interested to see how it works now that they can sort of tailor it more towards Sheen and Tenet. And the world kind of that they created, like, I'm not sure how it's going to work because it's it's a pretty accurate adaptation of the book. Right. Like, season one is very much like, here's Good Omens as a show. So I'm curious to see what happens now that they can get looser with it. Yeah, that's always a crapshoot when uh, you're left to your own devices and you don't they have They are a very appealing pair. Like, those yes. two guys are very good, and it's fun to see them together. It's one of those things where a lot of fun people pop up. You know, like, I don't necessarily Mm -hmm. want to give it away, but they do a good job of filling in a lot of the side characters with, like, a recognizable comedian or a TV personality that you like or, you know, like... Jim Gaffigan, Oprah. Yeah, well, like, like, uh, Jack Whitehall shows up, John Hamm shows up, Michael McKeon, you know, like, so so I'm I'm looking forward to more of that, too. Like, I'm sure season two, because, you know, it's it's a little bit like, uh, it's got a kind of a dogma sensibility where it's like... It's a religious cosmology, but in a snarky, funny way. Right, throwing stones at sacred cows, etc. Well, they're kind of self-aware about how elaborate and wild some of this mythology can get. 
That's oh, sure. Uh, all right, and then to wrap up the news, I sent you a bunch of trailers to watch. We'll go through them quickly. I just want to get oh, yeah. your thoughts. I have some thoughts myself. First, Jolt. Uh, this is a action movie with Kate Beckinsale. She plays a mm-hmm. woman with a rare neurological disorder that causes her to occasionally lash out in uncontrollable homicidal killing sprees. And she can only control it by giving herself powerful electric shocks. So she's got this, like, electro node hooked into her. And if she feels murderous rage coming on, she can zap herself back to normal. Uh, That's just the premise. That's not the plot of this movie. The plot is her boyfriend is murdered and she's the prime suspect because she's got this killing disease. Mm -hmm. And so she's got to like go find out who did it and get her revenge before the cops and everybody catch up to her. Yeah, I mean, uh, she's a capable action star. Yeah, this is definitely back to like the underworld era Kate Beckinsale, which mm-hmm. the gun-toting badass Kate Beckinsale. It looked uh, it looked uh, pretty fun. It had uh, sort of a I don't know like a kitschier atomic blonde kind of vibe. I feel like uh, Lady Crank. I feel like that was that was the mm. pitch. It's like what if Crank, but instead of Statham. Uh, and like I'm in, I'm in for Lady Crank. I feel like more movies in the in the Crank oeuvre. Why not? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's hits. That's hitting Netflix on July 23rd. Looks like a good time. Uh, Blood Red Sky. That's our next Netflix trailer. This is a German horror movie. Terrorists hijack an airplane, and then they discover that one of the passengers. She seems like she's just an ordinary single mom. Turns mm-hmm. out she's got a dark secret. She's a fucking vampire. And so it's like vampire versus terrorists on on the airplane. Uh, Stakes on a plane, if you will. Thank you very much. Uh, I don't want these motherfucking vampires on this motherfucking plane. Stakes on a plane. That's what that that was. Oh, stakes on a plane. Nice. Like through the heart. Like through the heart. But it also rhymes with stakes. And that's a movie. Mm hmm. There you go, folks. Thanks for listening. I like it. This is Binge Boys. You're listening to Binge Boys, the only podcast that explains all of its jokes. <laughs> uh, you know that's the sign of a great quip. Uh, sign up for our Patreon to get the annotated edition of all of our podcasts. That's where I will listen along with you and explain to you what's funny about everything we're saying. Coming soon uh, to Patreon. The- it's like the Talmud, but for Binge uh- Boys. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love uh, when we get into uh, esoteric Judaica. Uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, so the Talmud. No, I don't, we don't need to explain. We don't need to explain the Talmud. Let's move on. What did you think about the vampire terrorism movie? It looks like good time. It looked like uh, it had a little bit of a let the right one in uh, kind of vibe. Like yeah, this, yeah. Uh, see secret vampire hiding out among the normies. Sure. Yeah, because it, it wasn't like that over the top in your face until the shit hits the fan. Yeah. Yeah, and then they bear their fangs, and it's game on. Game game on at 36,000 feet. Wow. Tagline, folks. Hope somebody's listening from Germany right now. Uh, I should say, I'm saying German. It's a co-production because the terrorists are played by English-speaking actors. One of them is Dominic Purcell from Prison Break and uh, The Flash. An international production, I should say. Here's my only thought. Yes. I feel like I am nostalgic for an era when they maybe wouldn't have had to tell you right away that it was a vampire. Like, wouldn't it be cool to watch this movie and you know that there's some twist, like terrorists take over plane, this single mom somehow is going to take them on, she's got some kind of crazy secret, but... I don't know. I feel like knowing going in robs you of the most fun thing about the movie, which is the surprise of, ah, the vampire. You you can't. It's, it's hard to it's sell tough without advertising-wise right. wise, yeah, to, like, to bury the lead like terrorism. that. I understand that. That would be a plum reveal, but then again, um, what's going to get you to watch it? Like, it's what is it, just like a female passenger 57 or something? Wait. You mean this is a movie just about a woman? No, I don't think I'm Well, well, she's no a vampire. Way. Oh, okay. Well, she's uh, oh, okay. if she's well, a dead case. woman, then yes, I'll watch it. But if All it was right, an alive woman. Super, yeah, or as long as it's a supernatural woman, but just a, a regular mortal woman. <laughs> yeah, not, not interested. Pass. Uh, I like that the uh, the Netflix tweet was like, the, the tagline or what they're using to promo was like, the terrorists planned for everything, but not a vampire on the flight. It's like, well, you wouldn't. 
you would not plan for that. That I don't think you can lay that on the terrorists. Yeah. Like, you're like, oh, you guys didn't plan for a vampire? It's like, well, they're supernatural. I mean, I don't, you don't plan for mythological problems when you're organizing a terrorism op. Oh, uh, here's another tagline for the movie. Uh, <laughs> the, taking the classic stewardess line, coffee, tea, or blood? Yeah, there you go. I was saying, uh, I feel like uh, Air Force Blood would also have been an acceptable name for this. Uh, you know, sure, like, it's like, sure. It is like Air Force One, but not the president, mm-hmm. but with a, a member of the undead. Um, I just like, I like the idea of a terrorism. Another sketch idea. They're getting rid yes. It's like, okay. You wait in the alley, got the got the van ready to go. We come into the bank. You two are on crowd control. You get into the vault, take the manager through the back, and then we're out in 45 seconds before the alarm goes off. Like, uh, what if the manager has a Cerberus? I'm sorry? The, the three-legged dog from hell, what if that's in there and the manager sicks it on us before we can get into the vault? Like, well, we don't need to prepare for mythological... Or cryptozoological threats. How many times have I told you? Yes. What if the house we're breaking into is guarded by a cyclops? Yeah, it's like, I. are we sure that Bigfoot is not working security at the bank? Well, he's not real, so we don't need to plan for it. Random cryptozoology. I, I'm all for it popping up more often. Just in life or in films? Oh, in life, that would be frightening. <laughs> why, aren't, why aren't I constantly being attacked by mythological beasts? I want more Loch Ness monsters. <laughs> it's like, just the other day, I was tr- strolling through Runyon Canyon, and I thought... Where are all the chupacabras? This place used yes. to be crawling with chupacabras. Oh, it, but all that fracking led to the end of the chupacabra. <laughs> is it is the plural of chupacabras with a, with an S or is it just chupacabra? I feel like it's Ooh. I feel like you have several chupacabra. For some reason it just sounds right without the S. Yeah, I don't know. My friend back in the day chupacabra used to roam the plains. The jackalopes as far as the eye could see. Mhm. One more trailer we've got to talk about, The yes. Many Saints of Newark. There, I know you were saying the other week there's just one saint of Newark, and I'm here to say you're fucking wrong. There's many. <laughs> this is the Sopranos prequel film. It's set in the 70s in Newark, New Jersey. Michael Imperioli, he's James's son, the son of the actor who played Tony Soprano on mm-hmm. The Sopranos. He's starring as young Tony Soprano. We've also got... John Bernthal as Tony's dad, Johnny Boy Soprano. Wait, what's the actor's name? Michael Imperioli. Or no, Michael not Imperioli. Gandolfini. Gandolfini. I'm sorry. Yes. That's my mistake. James Gandolfini played Tony Soprano. Michael Gandolfini will be playing young Tony Soprano. We got John Bernthal as his dad, Johnny Boy. Alessandro Davola as Dickie Moltisanti, Christopher's dad. Christopher played by Michael mm. Imperioli. That was the mistake I was making. Corey Stahl as the younger junior soprano and Vera Farmiga as Tony's mom, Livia. So this is David Chase, who created Sopranos, wrote the Mm -hmm. script. Alan Taylor, who directed a bunch of Sopranos, directed, uh, debuts on HBO Max and in theaters in October. I like that it's got just the pedigree. It's got the stamp from uh, the creators and everything. So that gives me hope. I mean, I don't know if they would they go forward with it if it was going to be a a freaking embarrassment. I mean, it's happened before. The fact that Chase has had this story in mind for a long time. He was thinking about maybe doing it as a book. I think I read at one point. Mm -hmm. It's not like he needs the money. It's not like, you know, there there were just HBO was like knocking down their door after 20 years. Like you got to do more Sopranos. I think it was just the time was right. They had this idea it's an interesting time in Newark. The Newark riots, of course, happened in the late 60s. So they're right. telling this interesting real-world story about tensions between these sort of newly arriving black community and their criminal underground versus the established Italian criminal gangs that were already there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's, it's an interesting story. It's an interesting backdrop. And, yeah, it's a fun chance to get a bunch of new actors in to play these iconic characters. I mean, Junior, Olivia, obviously we know them from the main show, The Sopranos. But, yes. you know, we've only seen brief flashbacks with Tony's dad. Uh, we never really got to know Dickie Moltisanti. He sort of mm-hmm. hangs over the show, this, like, beloved sort of uncle who helped to raise Tony that he talked about a lot. And there's a lot of stuff from The Sopranos that could pay off here. I mean, Tony always felt so protective and paternal towards Christopher because of how Dickie was with him. So we'll get to sort of pay that off and then... 
you know, seeing what Livia was like when Tony was younger. And and, and I, I think obviously you can even tell from the trailer, they're kind of giving Vera Farmiga a little bit of an Edie Falco quality to kind of see like mm-hmm. Tony carried some of this stuff with him in the future when he fell in right. love with Carmella. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of interesting threads here. Corey Stoll as Junior Soprano is a really interesting bit of casting. I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, fell in love with Carmella, but always had a guma. Always had a guma or two. Or two. At, at some points, yeah. there were multiple gumas. Multiple gumas. It, is it gumas or just guma? That's a good question. What if your guma is a chupacabra? What if your guma is a chupacabra who loves gabagool? <laughs> That's In the prequel, we find out that uh, Tony's parents were killed by gabagool. That's why he's so obsessed with eating it in the future. I enjoyed a little uh, taste of uh, Ray Liotta at the end of the uh, trailer as well. Yeah, and Leslie Odom Jr. pops up as an original character as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you m- might know uh, Ray Liotta as Henry Hill from Goodfellas or a satisfied customer of Chantix. Chantix, <laughs> if you are trying to quit smoking. Wait, are Chantix sponsoring Binge Boys? Talk about a dream get. Yeah, wow. I, I would enjoy uh, any sponsor, but especially Chantix. A. Be a good fella. Quit smoking with yeah. Chantix. Well, how you smoke three packs a day, so you could really you. This would be a. This would have a personal payoff. Oh yeah, I'm I, I'm firing up a, a burner right now. You, you've smoked an entire pack of cigarettes just since we've been recording this episode of Binge Boys. Oh yeah, I, I can't talk on a podcast without wearing a wire and smoking a cig. <laughs> Sometimes you, you hit the wire with the SIG and it ruins the recording, but what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You press stop and then you set up again and go one more time. It's just, do you know that old saying? It's just part of wearing a wire. <laughs> that's how it goes when you wear a wire. All right, that's it for the news, Hal. That's all I got. Good stuff, Lon. Do you need to t- stop the tape and flip your wire tape over for the second half of the podcast? Listen, or do you think I you have enough room out. left? I got to run out and buy another pack. So, uh, <laughs> to be continued. When we come back, we're going to. That's the last time I ever see Hal. He left to go get cigarettes during a podcast and never came home. Be telling that story to a therapist one day. <laughs> My old podcast partner. Hey, just one day he said he was going out for smokes and then I never saw him again. Listen, when I get back from the liquor store, we're going to talk about Glitch in the Matrix on Hulu. <laughs> Is that outdated? I feel like that. What's the 2021 version of dad going out for a pack of smokes and never coming home? I got to go out and uh, get some juice for my jewel. (laughs) That's it. You're right. It's definitely vape juice. It's foolish of me to have even posed the question. Going out to get vape juice or (laughs) running out to the dispensary? Yeah, dispensary, vape refill. I think that, that, that answers my question. Or, yeah, I'll be back. I just got to run out to the T-Mobile store. (laughs) (laughs) Just going to go pick up some Dogecoin. Dad, why aren't you doing it from the laptop? Don't ask me questions. That's just Elon Musk's kid. That's the only kid that's going to grow up like, Dad said he went out, I was going out to buy Dogecoin and dig a tunnel and never came back. How do you pronounce his name again? I don't know. It's like XK71. A series of symbols. You know what? This is a good transition into Glitch in the Matrix. It is actually. Yeah. Glitch in the Matrix on Hulu from Rodney Asher, who directed Room 23. Eight? Seven. So close. Seven. Two, three, and seven. I, I had both those goddamn numbers in my head and I chose wrong. I am a bad 50 50. Uh, don't play roulette with me. But uh, Glitch in the Matrix, uh, it, it takes you inside the internet and. Uh, it does not. <laughs> <laughs> it's not what it's about at all. It's about, it's, well, Rodney Asher does the same thing in all of his movies, which is mm-hmm. you're hearing. Experts about a topic, interesting people, thinkers, people who've spent a lot of time studying or contemplating something, whatever the subject of the film is. But you never see them. They're always off screen, represented in some other way. So 237 is about people who have fascinating or weird theories about The Shining, the Stanley Kubrick movie. Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. But you only see clips from the film or or images you never see the people who are talking to him about their their theories he kind of lets you 
use your imagination as to what kind of people they really are. And he does the same thing here. So it's, it's all people with interesting ideas or theories about the question of simulation theory. Like, do we live in a simulated reality or is our reality verifiably what you see around you? And we do have a combination of people who spend a great deal of time playing like online simulated games and have theories about it. And they are represented by crazy, bizarre avatars of them, that of their own creation of right. like robot monsters and like really ridiculous, cool looking. The version of it in this one is you do see the interview subjects, but they're being represented by, yeah, digital animated avatars instead of their real selves. But then there are a, a couple of experts who are just chiming in and positing thoughts um, in regards to these theories who are actually themselves. But it seemed like to me the people who spend more time in cyberspace and simulated worlds are the avatars. Right. Yes. To me, it doesn't really shed any light on like whether or not we're in a simulation or not. I mean, I'm just like, I think that's foolhardy. Well, because- you were expecting an answer? I mean, always. I wanted a definitive yes or no. I want any documentary to end like The Jinx, where Robert Durst said, I did it, I killed them all. You wanted like The Robot, and Errol Morris is like, all right, did you put us in a simulation? The robot's like, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. You got me. You got uh, me. So uh, th- that didn't answer the question. But what it was pretty fascinating, I love how it connected it to sci-fi and Philip K. Dick uh, you know, one of the grandfathers of the genre. And he was essentially the kind of father of the notion of living in a simulation. Well, or yes and no. I mean, it's an old idea. It. Like Descartes even is like, I think therefore I am. That's his explanation for even that. Is like, yes. well, all we really know is that we exist. Like, I think therefore I am is basically like, If I'm thinking, even if I'm confused about everything, well, there's an entity that's thinking. So that entity exists, so I exist. Now, I don't know what form that might take. Like, I could be a brain in a jar, or I could be, you could be deceiving me, but there would still be a a me to be deceived, so I must exist. I, I feel like just the notion of like, oh, man is God's folly, and like, what is, like, right. you know, is there a puppet master? The interesting thing about Philip K. Dick was not that he was positing it as a hypothetical, but mm-hmm. one, that he was writing such compelling stories about the idea, but two, that he really believed this. Like, I, we could spend the whole podcast talking about this. I'm fascinated by this stuff. But, yeah. uh, Phil K. Dick really believed that he had had this out-of-body, otherworldly spiritual experience where he had become awoken to the fact that he was not just Philip K. Dick, but he was part of some much more elaborate cosmological consciousness, and, like, the world is not what we think it is, that we're— Sounds like, uh, my dude got red-pilled. What, what? Yeah, (laughs) dude was woke. (laughs) He was seriously canceled by the woke Philip K. Dick mob. Uh, So he wrote a lot of stuff later in his life, and he gave a lot of speeches and lectures about this. And one of those lectures is kind of the backbone for this movie. But, yeah, I mean, I think like all of the the guy's other movies, it's not educational as its main goal. It's really about the people who believe in this and the experience of believing in this and what about human life would make you believe this as opposed to I'm going to like lay out the whole theory for you and walk you through it. Right. And it seems like one of the commonalities is just like, just like I picked up from a couple of the stories that were told, and there's a, like a longing or an emptiness that reminds me, it just smacked of the same thing. They're like, oh, what drives people to a conspiracy theory? It's like, oh, it gives me something interesting to, to just like center my life around, like just diving into this conspiracy theory. Yeah, there's a guy who's talking about once I started looking for coincidences, I started seeing them all the time and there were all these Mm -hmm. patterns. And I mean, that's on one level, that's how our brains are organized to like look for patterns and find those repetition or whatever. But it's also, it's, it's meaning. It's a search for meaning. It's like, how do I make waking up and going through this crap every day means something. Well, I look for, oh, every third day I see this kind of a dog. Or when I think about this person, sometimes they call me that same day. And like, you know, you're trying to like find those patterns to make it all 
means something when in reality it's probably mostly chaos. I mean, I think that's what a lot of this is like. It would be comforting if we were in a pre-programmed simulation because somebody bothered to make the simulation. If you take the blue pill. Well, I'm just saying, like, our regular life, it's like nobody gives a shit. It's all just random chaos and nobody cares what happens to us but us. Right. If you were in a simulation, it's like, well, the person who coded the simulation cares what happens to me. They they took time out of their lives to code me, you know? Like, that's kind of a nice thought in some way. Like, it would be horrifying to be Truman Burbank in The Truman Show. But it's also like, well, Ed Harris... He really cares. He's not just, you know. Truman, you're my greatest creator. Yeah, like all of us are just wandering around and no one gives a fuck. But like he had an Ed Harris in the sky watching him every day. Lon, I give a fuck about you. Oh, well, that's very kind. But not really. You don't really. That's that's the point of me. I wish you uh, um, nothing but uh, nice times. <laughs> uh, and I will say it gets into some personal stories and explorations of the people that believe this stuff. And um, there is... To me, the most startling thing is the story of this kid who really felt like he was in the Matrix and he commits some grisly acts inspired by this notion and thinking like he has awoken to the notion of actually being in the Matrix and it is just the most horrifying tale Uh, and you hear him telling it first person and It's stupefying, horrifying, and many other superlatives in the most impactful piece of this. To to see that someone can get so down the rabbit hole, uh, I shouldn't be surprised by it because there are people who are deluded and like are spurred on by conspiracy theories. You know, you see it all the time in in the news. Uh, Hence, uh, the Into the Storm documentary and QAnon and uh, Pizzagate and all this shit. So. This kid would like, yeah, he literally thought he was Neo. And um, yeah, I mean, were, were you, uh, I mean, were you shocked and appalled at that story? It's a very dark chapter in the in the movie. Uh, yeah. So check out Murder Kid uh, on Hulu now. Should be fun. Uh... Coming up, we're going to talk uh, physical on Apple. Bitching the fuck out of shit. Lon. We uh, both watched at least some of the show Physical. I fucking hated this show. I fucking oh, hate, really? I fucking hated every second of this. I think one of the underrated MVPs of comedy movies of the past decade is Rose Byrne. I think I Rose agree. Byrne is so underappreciated. Rose Byrne is terrific. Consistently very good. And it's subtle. Like, she's not somebody who's doing, and I don't mean a knock on on other comedians who go very big, but there's sure. a lot of comedians that it's always like an over-the-top, it's a big reaction. You're Kristen Wiggs, you're Melissa McCarthy's. You're, you're Kristen Wiggs, you're Melissa McCarthy's, you're Will Ferrell's, yeah. you're, you're, yes. Mm-hmm. And, and Rose Byrd can get big laughs out of an eyebrow, out of a little look, a, a little aside, a, a wry yep. line reading. She's mm-hmm. very good. In fact, part of the reason the show bugged me so much, I think, is because she's doing a very good job of acting. This entire show is... From not only the perspective of the main character, but we are inside her brain. We're we're not only seeing everything play out from her POV, we're literally hearing her internal monologue constantly. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure any character would be likable if you could hear everything they were thinking, but this lady is a fucking monster. Yeah. That's the point. Like, I'm not saying anything the show doesn't know it's not flattering to hear all of the ugly things this woman is thinking about herself and everybody else. This is maybe the most hostile, angry show I've ever seen. I'm not saying there's something wrong with the show being angry, but what's it angry at? Like, what's it even, it it seems like it's aimed at everything. It's just angry at the world. It's angry at everybody in this woman's life. It's angry at her. And it's just like, it was making me angry. Yeah, it was an interesting portrayal because there, there's a disclaimer at the top of the show that it depicts uh, eating disorders. And yeah, she she binges and purges. She's got a real problem with yeah, and it's and it's elaborately uh, like shown in the show, and it's very 
like it's almost like this ritual that she goes through right. with um, with her binging and purging. And it is it's very upsetting and it's very detailed. Yes, absolutely. And I feel like I agree with you. It is very harsh. Like she is so judgmental of everyone and everything around her. But I bought it in a sense of she was so harsh with herself. Her self-loathing was so intense that yes. she viewed the world with that same lens. Yes, and the show understands that this is projection. When she sees a, a, a heavy person and she's like, oh, that disgusting fat pig. They're, like, the show is smart enough to know that it's not hatred directed at that other person. It's that character's hatred of herself and her body dysmorphia and her lack of self-esteem and confidence and all these other things. But yeah. I'm just saying the experience of living through it with her, I mm -hmm. didn't feel like I was gaining anything out of it. I just felt like it was it was almost physically painful to endure. I mean, I got on board with it. Um, just, oh, it was an interesting depiction. Like this, it felt like this mindset uh, resonated uh, to a degree that, like, you know what? I can see like this person is abusing themselves in this deluded way to try to be better and, and reach this ideal through a very uh, destructive way, obviously, uh, bulimia. And she's treating the world around her, at least mentally, in the same way. The thing that bugged me about this show a little bit was like all the details, like how the world unfolded it just seemed a little bit more complicated than it needed to be. Like the way she found this workout class and like the deal that she struck with the people in the workout class and the, her husband's aspirations. It was just like, there were a lot of rough edges, it felt like. To me, the biggest single problem is that beyond like just that it's, it's just mean. It's just a mean, hostile show. Mm -hmm. Is that... It's not only that she's thinking awful things about literally everyone and everything she encounters. It's that the world lives up to her negative view. Like, everybody mm -hmm. really is a piece of shit in this world. Like, her husband is a skis and he is a loser, just like she thinks. And, like, the woman that she's making fun of who has a kid at the same school, like – that woman is overweight and she is very insecure and needy and she is kind of lame and seems like she would not be fun to hang around with. And like, if the world didn't match this woman's view, I think it would be more of a commentary on how she's self-defeating and she's her own worst enemy. But the fact is, it's about an angry woman who's trapped in a world that really is horrible. Like, she's right in all of her critiques of it. It's just like, what is the point of this? Like, everything sucks. Everyone's awful. Everything's bad. There's no hope of redemption. It's just like this. There would be another level, potentially, if uh, she had this, these low opinions of people, and then they defy her expectations. And it's like, oh, this person. Right. She's like, that guy's a low life. And then the next scene will show them being a low life. And it's like, well, all yeah. right, everyone's a fucking low life, I guess. And then I saw that the guy who directed the first episode is Craig Gillespie, who also made I, Tanya. And uh, mm -hmm. that's another movie where it does kind of the same thing, where it's like, hey, you shouldn't judge everybody just from the from the Midwest like they're a redneck yokel. And then everybody in the fucking movie is a redneck yokel. It's like, which is it, yeah. man? This is the same thing. Tonally, yeah, uh, like I, Tanya was a little all over the place. And I, I can see that happening in this the same way and just the point of view being somewhat unsavory yeah. and irredeemable. So I see what you're saying there. Everything and everyone is irredeemable. And it's like, look, I'm not saying the world is a great place. Like, listen, I'm a fucking cynical guy myself. But mm -hmm. if you're giving me nothing, if, if there's no one person I care about or like or want to see succeed, if Everybody's a miserable piece of shit. If there's no hope for the future, or for redemption, or for salvation, or anything, why am I watching this? Like, I, I have my life. If I want a, a terrible <laughs> downward spiral with no hope of ever pulling out. I, I will say it's it's a good Rose Byrne performance, and it's a fun setting. I mean, I, we've kind of... 
gone uh, to the 80s well many times uh, at this point, though. So it's like the production design is great, but then again, we've had Glow, we've had Stranger Things, but it's definitely that kind of vibe. It's kind of like Glow, but set in the the world of aerobics and fitness, Jane Fonda workouts, Olivia Newton-John, obviously, with the song Physical. That's the titular physical. Uh, So... But there's some nice production value, though, that brings the 80s to life, if we even need more of that. There's odd needle drops because they their whole bit, the main couple is they're not into 80s music. They're like aging. They're older hippies. And so all their records are like 60s and 70s. So it's odd. You'd sort of expect it to be wall to wall 80s music. And then the needle drops are like hurdy gurdy man, which I don't think you should use because it's already in Zodiac and it's so memorably used. In Zodiac, that like, what are you, what are you gonna do? You can't read. It. I feel that way about songs sometimes if it's been used in a in, in an iconic way. Hurdy gurdy man is so like that's the one that's plagued or go like the the first Zodiac killing in that movie, and it's this really creepy Donovan song, and then it's the one in the pilot of Physical that the the younger girl they're trying to talk into a three way puts on yes the record player. So it's this really prominent use, and like it's the background of this whole scene. It's like. It's like trying to use, you know, Stuck in the Middle with You or Layla or something. Well, like- Guardians of the Galaxy used a song that was in a, a Quentin Tarantino movie where I was like, wait, what? Anyway, I, I see what you're saying, though. Yeah. So I, I liked Physical a little bit more than uh, Ron did. Well, anyone would have to. I think Roseburn is absolutely worth watching. But I, I see what you're saying. It does have um, just a dour uh, view of humanity. and you. you I know, wanted you might- to, like, put my hand through the TV. Like, I—, I physically hated this show. And honestly, the other weird thing, not only Rose Byrne, the co-star, the guy playing her husband is Rory Scovel, one of my favorite comedians. A hilarious stand-up comedian who I've seen many times. So, like, I was all in the zone to like this. Like, I should have liked this. Well, we get to see a lot of Rory Scovel. (laughs) There's a lot of Um, Rory Scovel's butt in this show. Yeah, we get a lot of... A lot of, lot of, lot of cheek, a lot of like right cheek, Rory Scovel. There's like five different shots of his buttons, yeah. various scenes. When he's shirtless, he had a tattoo that was poorly covered up. I could absolutely see oh, that he had yeah, a tattoo probably, on his chest. Probably, yes, because yeah. that would not fit the character they were thinking. And that took me right out of it. Oh boy, uh, physical on Apple TV. If you are so inclined, here's another Hulu original, false. Positive that takes place in the the fertilization world, the gynecology in the womb. Uh, in the womb. <laughs> uh, the, it takes us inside a woman's uterus. The first film yes, filmed um, entirely the, within a woman's uterus. It is not. Uh, it, the world of in vitro <laughs> fertilization it's, it's, and it's made with the cervix scope, folks. It's very exciting <laughs> new technology. <laughs> That's uh, yes. Uh, the, from the people who brought you, uh, oh, what was that one with Martin Short and Dennis Quaid, where uh, Martin Short gets injected, or Dennis Quaid gets injected into Martin Short? Inner space, uh, Hal. The inner film space. You're thinking of is inner. You've heard of 4DX, now try Forceptx. Yes. <laughs> uh, put your feet in the stirrups and settle back <laughs> for a fun ride. Uh, so False Positive is, um, it's a dark, nightmarish tale of some insidious goings-on at a fertility clinic. Well, we don't know. I think this, more than most movies, does a pretty good job of, for a while, straddling that line of, like, is there something very dark going on, or is this guy just kind of creepy? And, like, like I... It, I did. I really felt like more so than most horror movies. I didn't have a good sense of exactly where this was going. It's uh, Ilana Glazer, uh, Justin Thoreau, and um, Pierce Brosnan. 007 himself, Pierce Brosnan, <laughs> not and playing 007 this time. No, uh, although that would be neat. Uh, <laughs> James Bond became an OBGYN. Was, no, I don't think. Yes, so. or uh, if everything he was doing in this movie was in the service of Her Majesty. Yeah, hmm. I mean, it, it sort of is in his view. Uh, In to, his yeah. skewed perspective. Yes, he is serving something larger. <laughs> so to what Lon was saying, it's absolutely a slow burn the way they Very slow. divulge. There's something, is there something insidious or is it in this, is it in Ilana Glazer's mind? She and Justin Thoreau are trying to get pregnant and this is sort of like their last ditch option after yeah. um, many failed uh, pregnancy attempts. It, it's definitely playing the Rosemary's Baby game of like, at first, 
she's just kind of suspicious of the doctor. Then she becomes mm-hmm. more suspicious of her husband. And then by the end, she's just kind of paranoid about everything. Everybody wants to get at her and get at her baby. And then, you know, you've got to kind of figure out what what of it is real and what of it is all just in her mind. I would call this a poor man's Rosemary's baby. I agree. It, I think mostly because it just doesn't, I don't feel like they had a great third act. I feel like yeah. you're kind of, I, I was into it. I was I was very curious about where I was going. I think it does one thing very well, which is obviously the key metaphor, what they're trying to do is like this process for a woman, like not in a horror movie context, like in real life, mm-hmm. this process of going to fertility doctors and trying to get pregnant this way and interacting with the medical establishment once you are pregnant is in its own way horrifying and and mm-hmm. traumatic. So yeah. this is using the horror genres like the metaphor. And I think that stuff it does very well. Like the the horror of being poked and prodded and not being listened mm-hmm. to and having your body be this kind of platform for all of this technology and all of these things that are kind of out of your hands and that feeling of losing control, even of things that are happening inside of you. I think all of that is handled very well and I was into it. I just don't think in terms of the story, they have a good place to to end up and it ends up kind of ending on a whimper and a cliche. Yeah, like what was... like. Shame on this movie a little bit because it was two thirds of like something strong leading up to it. But I think they could have divulged a little bit more, a little bit sooner, and then also the the why they just kind of didn't have anything. Like they don't divulge anything because it's not it's not very good. Yeah, the why of it was not strong. Like, are the dark arts at play here? Is there some sort of occult thing that is um, lurking beneath the surface? But it was just... I was very surprised when Severus Snape appeared and said that the dark oh. arts were involved. I thought that we and had I, defense against that. See, that's why I would have loved uh, a, a little CGI <laughs> Alan Rickman showing yeah. up. But Hello, Dr. Brosnan. Uh, oh, hello. I've been looking at your charts. Oh, man. Uh, r- rival fertility doctors <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> who both engage in wizardry. A simple potion could take care of this situation. Oh, he injected you with semen. Let me just use my fertility spell. Um, pregnatus. <laughs> big tummyus. Okay. But, yeah, it just, it was underwhelming. I'm like, Really? That's it. And it's a bummer because there was tension set up. And um, I agree with Lon. It did use the, the, the backdrop of fertility for an interesting exploration. Yeah. And, but, I, and Pierce Brosnan's great. Like, he's playing it exactly he is, right. He's where creepy. It's, but it's superficially, he's, he's avuncular and very comforting. And they're like, it's not over the top like, oh, this guy's evil. He's just, it's deeply unsettling and it makes you very uncomfortable all the time. It, it, it's a very good performance. Yeah, he's just a little too touchy-feely. Exactly. It's like, oh, but it's, yeah. it's, it's little things. It's not, it's not a cackling, snidely whiplash villain, which I, which I appreciate it. I think works really well. Yeah. There's some stupid stuff, too. I don't think you needed this at all, but there's a runner where mm-hmm. she's the only woman at her workplace. Yes. Alana Glazer's character, and she's kind of not treated with respect by the dudes. Even though she's their peer, she's not the assistant or whatever. They make her, like, order the lunches all the time. Right. And, like, little microaggressions at work. And it just, like... That doesn't add up to anything either. And it's like, Mm -hmm. at some point, you keep expecting this stuff to, like, build or come together. Like, all these threads to kind of get pulled together in some way. Mm -hmm. Like, Rosemary's Baby has a conclusion where it's like, oh, all of these threads were kind of connected in a way. And this doesn't have that. You notice that it doesn't have that. Yes, the climactic scene, it's just like... Okay. You just get there and you're like, oh, so those guys really were just dicks about lunch. Like they were, it wasn't part of anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's it's there on Hulu if you want it. I've watched plenty worse things. It's got some tension to it. If it's a topic that interests you in a genre, the, the pregnancy horror genre is something you enjoy. Or if you're just a Pierce Brosnan stan, I would say this one for sure. Also, I'm a big fan of Broad City. That's a funny-ass show and Alana Glazer. Think about all of the gifts that Broad City has given us recently. Hacks, 
comes from the creative mm-hmm. team behind Broad City. We get right. this from Alana Glazer that we talked earlier in the show, Abby Jacobson leading that yeah. League of Their Own series for Amazon. So like, wow, a real, the creative force that came out of Broad City. Remarkable. Yeah, the the, the tree of Broad, Broad City is fruitful. And I thought Alana Glazer did um, a really nice job in mm-hmm. a completely like non-comedic role. Like it wasn't played with the kind of irony that, uh, Aubrey Plaza did Chucky. <laughs> right. I sort of thought, well, because like Jenny Slate does those indie dramas. And yes. I sort of was expecting something more akin to that, where she's playing a funny character who's just in a serious scenario. But like, no, no, she's playing it like legitimately. She's a marketing exec. She's not like a comedian or anything. And and uh, Justin Thoreau is uh, kind of a, a good, just smarmy, like um, not quite completely their husband. It's a Justin Thoreau type. I feel like you write this kind of role at this point and you're like, get me a Justin Thoreau type. And they're like, actually, Justin Thoreau said he's He's available. Perfect. Yeah. Give me Thoreau. The star of the most underrated drama of the past decade, Little Leftovers. Um, I thought you were going Mosquito Coast. uh, Oh, I I haven't watched it yet. Did you know that, by the way, did you, did we talk about this? Did you know that his uncle, Paul Thoreau, wrote the book Mosquito Coast? Isn't that weird? Wow. Any relation to Henry David Thoreau? No, I don't think so. They spell their names differently. Oh, one other thing about this movie. Did you ever get, I guess it did it by design, the reality and the dream sequences were a little too blended together, I felt. Again, I think all of these problems stem from the same thing, which is they didn't have a good explanation. So when you have to resort... Anytime, this is like, call this the Harris fucking principle. Okay. Anytime a horror movie is resorting to a lot of dream sequences to like put yes. the scares in there, hey, they don't have anything good. That's a, like, that's, like, uh, <laughs> that's a desperation play. It's like, oh, fuck, what, we got to get, listen, we're at page 30 and nothing scary has happened in a long goddamn time. Like, uh, oh, a dream about a corpse. Oh, no. Like, that's a exactly. cheat. I think I always think that's a cheat. Indeed. Uh, but we've got a great finale right here on Binge Boys. You've been listening to Binge Boys, brought to you by Chantix. Uh, shout out <laughs> that's to- the, That's the twist is that we really are being brought to you by Chantix because Hal's finally going to give up this devastating nicotine habit. Giving up these coffin nails. Uh, hoot Hoot Owl Nation. That the entire room I'm watching you in is yellowed from constant smoking. It's disgusting. Yes, the wallpaper is withered. There's a brown spot on the ceiling above you. Hey, let me ask you a question. Where are my gahooligans at? Owl Nation. Hoot Hoot. Hashtag Owl Nation. Thank you to Starburns Audio. Thank you, Travis Reeves, our super producer, putting up with our bullshit and um, weaving it into gold. Uh, Jason Kay giving us some sweet rock licks to open up the show. Lon Harris, please tell folks where they can find you. Find me on Twitter. That's at L-O-N-S. You can also read the Inside Streaming newsletter where I write about this stuff five days a week. Inside.com slash streaming. That is free. And one more reminder, it now has been up for a little while if you're listening to this, but check me out. I'm on the Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong podcast this past week talking about Armageddon. Only 38% on Rotten Tomatoes. I think it deserves much more respect. I was also on that show uh, several months back talking about The Last Jedi. Listen to Lon's episode, then listen to my episode and uh, hear me dissect The Last Jedi. And please hit me up on Twitter and Instagram, at Hal Rudnick. And uh, if you twitch, hit up my twitch, twitch.tv slash Hal Rudnick. Otherwise, we will talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys, bitch boys, bitch boys, bitch in the fuck out of shit.